You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lintonello. Good morning, well, everyone. Good morning. We're, uh, so I'm outside soaking up the 75-degree weather and looking at some blue sky mixed with clouds here in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, down here for the Star City Motor Madness Car Show uh, in downtown Roanoke. Actually, this is our uh, 21st year. We lost a year due to COVID, but uh, some 23 years ago, yours truly and a friend of mine decided that we needed to devise a fundraiser to build out the auto gallery at the Virginia Museum of Transportation, uh, which had no auto gallery. And we embarked on this, put this thing together with a great group of volunteers and enlisted all the various car clubs that we could get a hold of in the area and uh, put on this great two-day event. Uh, cruise night was last night. Got uh, Probably we'll have about 400 cars downtown uh, today, give or take. So uh, starting off to be a good day, a good car-filled day. And uh, despite the fact that I'm not home, I still have a frosty Dr. Pepper. Life is good. Fabulous. Sounds like a good event. Wish I could attend. But I'll be heading over to uh, East Knoxville after the show. And I'll be attending the American Motors Owners Club National Convention. And, uh, you know, there's a chance of rain in the forecast. But, uh, you know... This event has been going on since Wednesday, so I know there's going to be quite a few AMC cars and trucks out there. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Sorry, dog. Um, (laughs) You know, I would love to be there. I can't be two places at once. I wish I I could. Um, And sadly, I had anticipated being there. And you were going to buy breakfast. We were going to go to uh, Waffle House, and I was going to get us of about eight waffles and uh, you were going to buy but yeah, that's just not the you, case yeah. you lose and uh, now I got more money to spend on the next issue of Crankshaft so uh, you know it worked out well I'm glad you didn't come <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too that's fine <laughs> the uh, yeah, the fact is, I really look forward to uh, at least one good AMC show a year, uh, and typically the AMO or Kenosha Homecoming or something like that, because unlike a lot of other brands, you know, you have Chrysler shows all over the place and Ford shows and GM shows. There's generally only one big American Motors show a year where you can find all the vendors so ah, it's uh it's a good thing though we're doing good work here for the virginia museum of transportation and preserving the hobby for the future the cool thing about it is museum sees somewhere between 25 and 30,000 st- 
students throughout the year from all ages, all age groups. There are kindergarten field trips that come through the museum um, all the way up through high school age, and it really is amazing to watch them come in, see the cars in the auto gallery. A lot of them have never seen cars like, you know, the Model T's and earlier we have a Rio, uh, 1918 Rio. We also have a, a Piedmont automobile, which was built in Lynchburg, just about 45 minutes to the east of us. Piedmont Motor Car Company was the only car company originally chartered in the state of Virginia that actually built cars. So it's the only indigenous auto, auto manufacturer uh, in the state of Virginia. They built roughly about 4,000 cars between 1915 and 1922. Um, but uh, we managed to find, I did, I made it my personal quest about 30 years ago to start looking for Piedmonts, and I found my first one uh, nine years ago, expected that I would put it into service, and I'd be driving it all over Virginia, going to shows, seeing my uh, people showing them my Virginia-built car, and then when I finally found the car, and then I was heavily involved with the museum, I felt like it needed to be on the music in the museum on display for everyone to see and to share it. So I gave it up to the Virginia Museum of Transportation. So uh, it was well, such a nice uh, guy. Wow! That's, As that's opposed nice. to you, you were going to you chiseler. You were going to screw me out of breakfast. You know, eating my waffles later on. You know, oh. and, and probably la- probably laughing about it while you do. You know. Oh, I am laughing about it. I mean, I am retired. I used to save as <laughs> And uh, that was very honorable of you to give the car to the, uh, you know, museum. I never would have well, done that. I would have jumped. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the nice thing about it is uh, most people have never heard of Piedmont. And there no. are right now, so Piedmont, I'll divert momentarily here. So it's really unusual. Back in the in the mid-teens and 20s, there were a lot of unscrupulous people who liked to get involved in the automobile manufacturing industry. There were a lot of parts suppliers, people that sold parts and or who represented companies that uh, manufactured various parts and components because a lot of the cars were what we called assembled cars. Uh, what wasn't like Ford where they had a bunch of plants building the their own designed parts. Um, you basically had a bunch of companies building parts, engines, that sort of thing, um, and they were all very similar, like Continental. Continental built engines for tons of auto manufacturers yep. back in the day. And uh, people would go from town to town trying to convince the local fathers there town fathers that they needed to have a car manufacturing operation in their town and that's what happened over in Lynchburg and somebody took the bait, they built these cars uh, they built the Piedmont from like I say right about 1915 through 1922 where it went bankrupt they also built two other cars but they really were Piedmonts uh, 
in Texas, a guy a guy decided he wanted to sell his own brand of cars, wealthy uh, oil baron down there, and so he ordered a bunch of cars from Piedmont and had the Lone Star badge put on them. So they were Piedmonts with just a Lone Star uh, Cloisonne badge put on the front of them. They were shipped by rail down there, and they sold them as Lone Stars. And then in Chicago, you had a Chicago businessman who was kind of a shyster. Uh, I know it's hard to believe that it was a shyster in Chicago. But uh, these guys, this guy started the Bush Motor College. And, of course, cars were a big, you know, thing back then. You know, it new to most people, particularly in rural areas. But even in the cities, cars, you know, not that many people you had to be well-to-do to have a car, even though the Model T, of course, was changing all of that. But, you know, around 1915, cars were still few and far between. So this guy started the Bush Motor College where, you know, he would teach you how to drive cars and then you could be a, a driving instructor and you could be a chauffeur. And then he decided to take it one step for, further and offer cars that all of the poor bastards that had enrolled in his school could then sell because they were all going to get rich being able to do this. And so he ordered cars from Piedmont with a Bush label on it on them and ship them to Chicago. And then they also ship some overseas to uh, Europe under the name Alsace. But out of all of that, there are only four operating Piedmont or complete, uh, I should say, complete Piedmont automobiles. There's only three operating. There is a Bush, there's a Piedmont, there's a Lone Star, and then there's another Piedmont. And today at Star City Motor Madness, I located, with the help of none other than Stephen L. Moskowitz, the executive director of the Antique Automobile Club of America, I located a, a Bush car built by Piedmont uh, that had previously been unknown. Uh, the owner was up there in years, near 100 years old when he passed away. Vehicle hadn't been out in the public for probably 40, 50 years. And so we managed to buy that. And that's going to go into the Virginia Museum of Transportation this afternoon when we conclude our show. Wow. So did you take advantage of the guy's uh, widow and offer her like 10 cents on the dollar? Because that's what I would have done, you know? Definitely yeah, not yeah. Oh, not many people would like to have this car. You know, there's only a couple of them left, and there's not going to be any parts right. available. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be tough to sell. And then people are going to come, and they'll know where you're at, and they'll probably want to break into your house. But if you sell it to me for 50 bucks, you know, you can avoid all that. Right. There you go. Yeah. Hi. You're learning. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, cool thing about it is this is a really, really decent 10-footer. It's an older restoration. The other one that we have, the Piedmont that we have, is completely original. Original top, original everything. And it has a lot of patina. So it'll be really nice to have these two two vehicles sitting next to one another at the uh, Transportation Museum here. So we're really looking forward to it. But it was a really cool story. 
Steve called me early in the morning, and he didn't get me. So he kept sending me multiple emails telling me I needed to call him. So I, I called him right away, and he told me, he said, you got to go on the forums. There's a car on there. you got to buy it. I know you want to buy it. I know you'll buy it. And it was this bush was offered for sale. And I'm like, oh, great. So I immediately responded to the listing, and I noticed that there was another guy ahead of me that had been asking about it. So when I was able to get in touch with the buyer that same morning, I mean the seller, that same morning he told me he'd already sold it. And, of course, I was a bit distraught. I called Steve, and I told him, I said, you know, I said, I'm a day late and a dollar short, this guy, if somebody had already bought the car. He said, well, I know Wayne, the guy that bought the car, and not Karini, by the way. Um, his name will come to me, I hope, because it's a, a great story. I ended up buying the car from this guy, but I called, Steve's like, I know this guy, I'm going to call him up. So Steve calls the guy tells him, look, this car was built in Lynchburg, Virginia. The Virginia Museum of Transportation is about 45 minutes from there. He told them the whole story about the Piedmont and just told him, you know, that car really belongs in the Virginia Museum of Transportation. And so the guy told Steve, said, well, have your friend call me. And so I did. I picked up the phone. I called the guy. And this is all within about an hour's time. And I talked to Wayne, and he said, well, you want the car for the museum? I said, yes, sir. He goes, you'll take the car? I said, absolutely, I'll take the car. And, you know, whatever you, you know, I figured he was going to tack on a bit of a profit, and that was okay, too, if we had to. He just passed the deal straight off. Straight off to me, he passed the deal. Didn't take a nickel from the museum. Um, just, just lateraled straight over to me, and there you go. It was a cool story. I nice on, guy. I would have packed on at least five grand. At Come least on. five grand. You got to make a little. profit. That's right. <laughs> Capitalist society. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> what a fuck. You take a fuck. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I was uh, really, really, uh, really, really pleased. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of really good people in the car hobby. That, that's for sure. So uh, that's going to be the excitement for the day. The Piedmont. Wow, that's pretty, Piedmont. Huh, that's pretty interesting. I know there was a Piedmont airline years ago, but uh, yeah, I've, I've yeah. seen a Piedmont. Huh. I got to go to the museum now and uh, check it out. Hey, do they give free yeah. admission to uh, people who are retired or from Tennessee? Yeah. Um, they, uh, we got to take a break. Hang on the edge of your seat, folks. We'll be back. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. 
Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. Well, that was an interesting story, Mr. Tom, about uh, the Piedmont. Uh, that, that was a very honorable of you to put that car in the museum, donate it. I never would have. I want to get as much money as possible. But hey, you know, you're a very you know, nice you're guy. You're going to be you, you're going to be buying breakfast for me for like the next 30 years if you last that long. I mean, at your advanced age, I mean, you, you should you'd be, what, about 110? So, I don't know. Yeah. I better hedge my bets. <laughs> so, you, so, you're going to this show today, or you're at the show in Roanoke, Virginia, and you said that you were the uh, person behind to get it off the ground, correct? Yes. Uh, well, me and, and, my, and a friend of mine, Robert Bennett, he and I actually served on the board of directors for the Virginia Museum of Transportation. We were asked to serve on the board, volunteer to serve on the board of directors because they really thought they needed to have an auto gallery uh, to supplement the well, rail collection. The Virginia Museum of Transportation is well known for its rail collection and yep. particularly... Uh, it's steam locomotives because the Norfolk and Western Railway was headquartered here in Roanoke and their east end shops are just a few, just, I don't know, mere blocks from where I'm sitting right now. And they were one of the few railroads that built their own steam engines. And, uh, we have the 1218 steam engine which was uh, predominantly used to haul coal uh, from the uh, from West Virginia coal fields, particularly all the way down to the ports in uh, Norfolk and Newport News. Um, they also built the J-Class number 611 locomotive, which is considered to be the most sophisticated, technologically sophisticated steam locomotive ever built. And that was all built right here in Roanoke. Um, And that was built in 1950 and retired in 59. But uh, you've seen it. It's a a great-looking streamliner. It it is. It is. One of my favorite streamlinings is the Dreyfus Hudson on the New York Central. But uh, So so you got this car show going. I know... uh, when I worked at Hemmings, I was the one who started the Hemmings Concourse. And as you know, uh, starting and running a car show slash concourse is an incredible headache. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people think that they could do it, and, you know, you can, but it takes a lot of time and effort 
you know, to attract top-quality automobiles or the type of automobiles that would someone would want to pay an admission to go look at. So, uh, so tell us a little bit how you got that car show started. I, I mean, we want to focus in on the car show itself, you know, like some of the pros and cons and things like that, and then I'll tell you about the Hemings Concourse that we did that was an incredible headache. It really was. <laughs> I'm glad those days are over. Yeah, this this was really a, a labor of love, if you will. Well, first of all, I got lucky. Um, Williamson Road, uh, Route 11, going through Roanoke, was one of the top cruising sites back in the 50s and 60s, so much so that the local radio stations, they actually had portable DJ booths on stilts along the roadway. It's kind of interesting to think about that, that, you know, on the weekends, all these young people would go out and drive up and down Route 11, and the DJs would be out there spinning their tunes in these little miniature towers, if you will. And uh, it was legendary uh, for really the East East Coast. How did you get the show started? Like, what did you do? Did you know? Did you put out a call on social media? And, well, you know, did you call well, local clubs? Well, here's the thing. So we knew we wanted to have a show. So with Williamson Road being here and being so convenient, it's not unique to the country. We decided, well, we're going to have a cruise, a cruise night, and the city fathers had long banned cruising in the city. So we went to the city fathers and got down on bended knee and told them, you know, hey, look, you know, we're going to do something here that's a community service oriented thing. And that's a a good start with with the car show to begin with is to have a purpose for your car show. I mean, you can have a car show just to get together and, and hang out. But in our case, we had a purpose for it. And that was to support the Virginia Museum of Transportation. We got lucky because we looked at all of our opportunities and Williamson Road, the cruise night was an opportunity because of the history of the area. And so we, we took advantage of that. We had a, a big cruise night. We expected a hundred cars to show up and we literally had thousands the first year. It blew us away. And well, how did the people know we, about it? I, but how did the people well, know about it, the cars? Ba- well, back at that time, we went to local radio stations. We went to the local television station. We went to the newspaper. The newspaper was still viable when we started this thing 21 years ago. So we brought all these people on as sponsors, and as a consequence, they in turn promoted the event. So that's how we got it done then. Okay, a lot of things have changed since then and now. You know, we're well-established. People understand that Star City Motor Madness is always the last full week in June. But the difference being the newspaper is no longer really viable. It has a minor online presence compared to everything else. Uh, People have so many venues to get their news from. Even though the local news stations are still incredibly important and were it not for a, a close relationship with all the television stations, uh, we wouldn't be as successful as we are ongoing, in other words. I think 
you know, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So, well, yeah, okay. we, we we picked a great location downtown. You know, first of all, you want a a place that's hospitable, a place that people want to go, a place that makes people feel safe. And if you're going to have this show in the summertime, June, July, August, even early September, you're going to want to have your show somewhere where there's some trees. It would be great if you've got blacktop, but you've got trees as well. Um, if you have a show out in the middle of the field, you end up having a you know series of pop-up thunderstorms or something like that. It, can turn things into a mud bog and you know people don't like that with their cars if you just have it in a parking lot at a mall or shopping center somewhere typically there's not a lot of places to get shade you don't want pop-up tents at your show because if you do have a thunderstorm come up and i know you've seen it i definitely saw it um a, a an author that we know i was at a hudson show and Wind got up underneath the pop-up tent, carried it across the parking lot, and dumped it in the back of a 47 Hudson pickup truck. So you want to stay away from that. So we found a location here in Roanoke where we have trees on both sides, where the afternoon sun tends to have some create shade from the buildings. And so we have a place for people to sit. They can bring their chairs if they want to. But even more importantly than that, all the restaurants and other activities that they can take in are within just a couple blocks walking distance. So it makes it very people-friendly. They can bring their wives and their kids. Uh, the wives can bring their husbands. You know, there, there's a pinball museum around the corner here, and there's probably 75 pinball machines in there, you know, for the kids and whomever wants to go. And then you've got within walking distance the uh, transportation museum. So... Location, 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 and location. But you got to think about the details of your location. Again, you know, who wants to go in August and sit in a hot parking lot on blacktop without any trees? And we're down well, here. We've got trees and park-like settings. Yeah. You know, I I see that all too often. You know, uh, even with AACA in Charlotte. You know, it's it, Big parking lot, no shade, no benches to sit. It's just awful. And, you know, I avoid shows like that. I know a lot of people do. But if, if people are out there listening and they want to, you know, start a car show on their own, uh, by all means, go ahead. Check your calendar to make sure there's no other events like that on the same weekend, at least within driving distance. But if you're going to have a show that you're going to charge admission to, uh, you got to make sure that you're able to prevent people from just walking in. It needs to be, you know, uh, corralled off, and that could be pretty expensive to set up temporary, you know, fencing and things like that. Uh, you may also need insurance uh, for obvious reasons in case someone gets hurt or anything like that. You need access to an ambulance in case someone, you know, has a heart attack or falls ill uh, so the ambulance could get onto the show field really quick. You need, you know, you need vendors such as, you know, food and and drinks, water, things like that. But uh, the problem I always had with a lot of car shows, especially the ones that 
they charge admission and they also charge the car owners to put their cars in the show. So basically, you're telling me I have to pay you to put my car in your show so you could charge someone to look at my car and you keep the money. So when I see events like that, I don't go to them. I don't care who they are. I don't care who runs them. I, I think that is wrong. So basically, you don't want to charge the car owners zero to bring in their cars. Otherwise, you, without the car owners, you don't have a show. You know? Well, so, see, uh, we do, and I'll counter that just a little bit because, of course, there are lots of different scenarios. But right. for our show here, okay, we charge $30 entry for the show. But for that, you get a really nice commemorative T-shirt that goes with it. Um, but more than that, we present this to the car community specifically as a fundraising effort supporting the auto gallery at the Virginia Museum of Transportation. And so, in essence, the owners are, are registering. They get the T-shirt, but the profit, you know, the whatever we pay for the T-shirt, uh, you know, the 30 bucks less what we pay for the T-shirt. And then there are other levels where people can park um, that are a little bit more picturesque and they pay $150 for those parking spaces. But that is strictly an elective thing um, because they want to donate money to the Transportation Museum. So they're like, yeah, we want to do the VMT parking because we want to support the museum. And in return, we give them uh, a nicer backdrop perhaps than some of the others. There's a nice uh, grassy area behind their cars as opposed to a building, you know. So... Uh, we're probably the, I, we're the largest non-judged fee for registration show in the state of Virginia, but it's because of the generosity of the car owners who who want to support the museum. Different situation than you know what you're talking about. Yes, yeah, that's totally different. But you're donating to the museum, and the museum is is benefiting uh, by the fee. But there are a lot of events out there that they pocket the money and they're getting the money from the car owners and the people who attend the gate the spectators and i just find that it's totally unethical but i'm anyway. surprised you haven't started doing that down in down in knoxville already i mean for god's sakes you've been there what almost a year now or over a year yeah 18 months the problem is every time i open my i mouth, mean you know you're not profiting you're not profiting from a car show yet <laughs> not yet i gotta come up with the right angle <laughs> but you know the, the hardest part of of these car shows or these concours is getting the car owners and their cars to come out let's face it you know trailering a car today is very expensive with the price of gas and hotels and food and all that stuff uh, it costs a pretty penny several hundred dollars if not a thousand dollars or more for someone to bring a car of you know a father has to be trailered uh, to an event. So uh, you're up against a lot of, uh, you know, negative things when you're trying to come up with a nice event. Uh, but I know when I worked at Hemmings and we were launching, we were doing the Hemmings uh, uh, concours, 
We did it at Stratton Mountain, and we also did it at Lake George, and we did it at the Saratoga Water Museum. Uh, it took us all year to get like 125, 150 cars. It took all year. You're constantly going back and forth with people. Some people think their car is worthy to be in a concourse when once they send you photos, it's not worthy. You know, you see a lot of details. Oh, yeah. and, and sometimes you get skunked. You know, the photos look fantastic, and the car comes to the gate, and this happened to us. And the car was like, it barely was a number three condition automobile. And he was the only car in his class. Be right back, folks. Time for break. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. All right, you know, we're talking about starting car shows. Yeah, go ahead. An- another big component and, and sometimes a big mistake, I've seen it make and break shows. In other words, somebody starts a show, come out first year, they, it looks like they're doing everything right, and then you never see the show again. And yeah. it's generally because of how they handle their judging. A lot of a lot of the attraction at times for owners is to they want to be competitive, just like people who show horses or or anything else. And so a lot of shows are judged competitively and they're judged in various ways. We we on oh, other other shows that we've done, we've discussed the differences between, say, like point judging and French concours judging. But you've got to have people know what they're doing for your judging teams. You have to have people who are smart when it comes to people, people who are people people, but yet who can be focused on the job, can be respectful, can be kind, and thank the owners, because without the owners, you don't have any show, not nothing. 
you know, people are constantly telling me, whether it be AACA or this a show like today, they're constantly thanking me. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> you don't get it. Thank you. Because you know what? If it weren't for you, I'd just be down here twiddling my thumbs. And, and that's really true. So you want to make sure that the people that are representing you at the show, particularly your judges, that they all conduct themselves in a professional manner. And the other key, that they're unbiased. Giving awards to friends will kill your show faster than anything. And you would think that that's just counterintuitive. You would think most people would think, oh, no, we can't do that. But it happens. I've seen it happen time and again where somebody organizes a show and then all of a sudden the judges are giving awards to their buddies and then people are angry and then by the time the awards ceremony is over with, everybody's kicked off and that's the last time they'll ever see them again, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes negative problems with car shows. So it's... It's almost like, you know, do you want to buy a car project and spend your whole half your life and all your money restoring it? Or do you want to just spend, you know, a quarter of the amount and buy a car that's already restored? So it's like, well, why bother starting a car event of note when you can just go to an event that's already in existence and enjoy yourself and go home? You don't have to have any problems. You don't have to worry about it. There are a lot of shows out there today. It's almost as if there's no free weekends anymore. And it seems as if people are being pulled apart, you know, to attend. Which do I go to? Like, in in a couple of weeks, the Eastern Tennessee AAA, AACA chapter puts on their annual show here in Townsend, right? At the foothills of the smoke. It's a great spot. They have about 150 cars, and I will be able to attend, and it's right in my backyard because I'm going up to the Keeneland Concourse in Lexington, Kentucky. So there were some other free weekends, but I don't know. People just don't look at calendars, you know, uh, to see what other events are in a short driving period that other people may want to go to. So, you know, it's like there's so many events now. It's just dividing up the hobby. You just can't get to all of them. Uh, a lot of them are on the same weekend. You know, Father's Day weekend is a big weekend for car shows. But maybe if you have an event that you want to host, do it the weekend before, the weekend after, because, you know, uh, you're going to be finding the other shows for uh, spectators. And, and that's what your show depends on. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of issues hosting a car show. There really is. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes people get mad that their car don't, didn't get an award. They complain that, you know, you look at my car, you look at that car, I think it's politics, you like that person better than me, blah, 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 you know. And they fight over this, you know, useless $20 trophy. And I think that's ridiculous. But uh, I like going to shows where there are no judging. There is no judging. There are no awards. You just go, relax, take it easy. You admire the cars for what they are, and that's it. Yeah, and I think it's really a, a it's really all about perspective. It's like you right. know where I'm at today at Star City Motor Madness. There is no judging. There are two awards that are given out, and and basically they are. We had an artist commissioned an artist, uh, my friend Robert did, to paint 
Williamson Road in cruise style, so it's really kind of kind of cool. But we do two frame prints, and one is the city manager's choice, and one is the mayor's choice award. You know, it's totally apolitical. It's just they pick their favorite car, and bada bing, bada boom, it's done. And nobody is concerned about you know beating this guy or beating that guy. Now that being said. When you contrast what we're doing here to, say, like an AACA event, I think of AACA's judging system as an education for the car owner, uh, for the person that wants to put their car back to 100% stock condition. One of the best ways to determine if you're doing it accurately is to have your car judged in AACA. Uh, particularly, obviously, AACA is about all stock vehicles. Uh, it promotes the preservation and restoration of vehicles as they left the factory. And the judges within AACA, they're trained for, on authenticity. And so when you restore your car and you may not know everything there is to know about your car, uh, for instance, uh, you know, you don't want to use Phillips head screws on your 1920 Buick restoration. You'll find that out once you have it judged, if you didn't right. find it out already. You know, um, so, you know, it's a learning process. Because like with AACA, you've got the, you know, a tiered process where you've got uh first, second, third junior awards that you're going after the very first time you go out after you finished your car. And from there, once you get your work your way up, each time you can request your judging sheet, find out which area your weekend, then you talk to people in the club, figure out what you need to correct, correct it, take it back, and then you'll do better each time as you go back. Uh, so it's a learning experience. Uh, as opposed to, you know, if you're going to do a, a, I really tend to, if you're not going to have a professionally judged event, I'm pretty big on like a top 25. You know, just go through and pick out the top, what you think are the top 25 best cars on the show field. That's something that you can do where you really don't have to deal with as much bias and it's a little bit easier on you. You don't have to marshal teams and put all of the cars in categories and have them all all parked in parked by class or by year or ever how you wish to uh, have them laid out. So it's just a little bit easier, I think. Yeah, you, you know what always bothers me at car shows? And I know when a car is being judged, you obviously have to have the hood open, but when I ran the Hemming Concours, I always told people, once your car is judged, shut the hood, close it. And some people say, well, why? I want to show my engine off. Well, no, it's a Concours. We're here to appreciate the aesthetics of the automobile. We want to look at the overall design. And you can't look at, or you can't appreciate a car's shape when the hood's open. So, you know, shut your hood once the uh, judging is over. If someone comes up to you and they're interested in seeing your engine, then you can just open it, but then close it. Because uh, it's nice to see a car, you know, in its entirety, not with, you know, a big, you know, hood open. Big 
I'm for a break. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. So, you know, you're always talking about, you know, all of those things that irritate you. Because we all know you're an automotive curmudgeon. <laughs> Thank you. The automotive curmudgeon. <laughs> That's the type of stuff that people hide. They don't want others to know about. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of pros and cons. And you could talk about the pros, I'll talk about the cons. It's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't always work that way, folks. Trust me. When we're sitting around having adult beverages, uh, only the world would listen to Richard and I, you know? <laughs> Funny. So, the one thing that does irritate me, though, I'm going to borrow your hat for a moment. It just Go ahead. irritates the hell out of me. You know, everybody, you know, they slap the name Concor on everything today. Everything. Everything is a Concor. So now it's so ubiquitous that it really is beginning to lose its meaning because Car Show and Concor are sort of one and the same. It's just kind of all running together. You know, 20 years ago, Concor meant, you know, Pebble Beach, Amelia, the Elegance, Eyes on Design, yeah, oh, you know, Keeneland. But, but now... There must be, there are literally hundreds of concours. And I think people just latched on to the name because it somehow makes them feel better about the show that they're putting on. And I I don't agree with that. A, a concours is very specific, generally crafted to put forward it by invitation a field, a very unique field, 
of vehicles, oftentimes that represent a particular era or uh, style or mark, what have you. But, you know, every car show is not a Concours, folks. It's just not. No, it's not. So you want to hear my other beef? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. So... I tried to get a boot at several concours uh, to promote Crankshaft because, to me, you know, uh, if you're promoting a product that's directly related to the car show that you're at, uh, the car show eventually will get bigger and grow because, you know, we're providing coverage of these events. So I contacted the uh, Hilton Head Concours. They wanted $1,500 for a single booth for one day. Uh, I contacted the Cincinnati Concord, which was held two weeks ago. Uh, they wanted $1,600 for one day. And that is an incredible amount of money. It's like some of these organizations that are hosting Concords are looking at it as a cash cow. And that's not what it should be all about. Yes, you want to make money. But you need to help the hobby grow so then, in turn, you will grow. You know, back in 1998, when I was hired at Hemmings by the uh, previous owner, Terry Eric, uh, I asked him about the classified rates in Hemmings Motor News and why they were so low. And he said, well, I look at it like this. If we keep the rates affordable, more people will advertise. As more people advertise, the hobby will grow, and as the hobby grows, we will benefit by it by selling more subscriptions. And he was absolutely right. If some of these shows and concours would have more affordable rates for vendors, not only would there be more vendors and more entertainment for the people who attend, the spectators, but they will help these products grow, which will in turn help the hobby grow. So too, too often, you know, they're looking at Concours or these car shows as a cash cow to cash in and make as much money as possible. But they're really doing a disservice to the collector car hobby. They really are. Just has a negative effect in the laws. Yeah. I, I, I actually agree with you because, well, for one, you're absolutely right. And in, and in your case, just despite all the grief I give you, I, I know that you're very generous when it comes to promoting the hobby and events as well. I mean, yes. you, you've always done that. No, no matter whether you were working with Hemmings or through Crankshaft, you're always promoting the hobby and you promote events as well. And it, it's not reciprocated. And I, I couldn't agree no. with you more. Uh, it, it's not like you're wanting a freebie. It, it, it's all about promoting the hobby and creating a better environment for people to enjoy the hobby. Uh, it, it's interesting. Um, you think that more vendors, as I see it, more autom automotive vendors, now grant you, you know, after a while, the people selling pork rinds and you have five pork rind vendors, that's probably not going to help you so much. But if you have the right types of vendors, more vendors make your 
show more attractive to people. It gives people more choices, more fun things to see, yep. more to do. And actually, that's kind of how we did it with Star City Motor Madness. We kept our vendor fees fairly low. Now, we reserve the right to screen those vendors so that we don't have too much of one type of vendor or another. But we think of that as part of the attraction to the show, in addition to the cars. People want food. They want opportunities to buy artwork. They might want to buy a magazine. Lots of things that are related to the automotive side that will augment the show. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I think too many of the concours lose sight of that. Yeah, you know, there, there was a show recently held uh, within three hours of Knoxville. I'm not going to say the name of the show because I don't want to give them any exposure whatsoever. Uh, their show started at 9 a.m. It ended at 3. They wanted $3,000 for a vendor booth. And if you paid $7,000, you got a banner. But then you still had to pay $1,000 to go attend a dinner. I mean, and, and I called them out on it. And they said, well, you know, BMW and Porsche has no problem play, paying those prices. I said, you're comparing apples to oranges. You know, you're talking about a, a small-time publisher trying to get a magazine off the ground, and I'm going to give you guys coverage, you know, three, four pages, and that costs money. But they said, no, it's $3,000 you want to come in or not. So, of course, I didn't, you know, I didn't go for it. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of greed in the hobby, which uh, annoys me so much. Uh, we well, got to help each other. You jump. know, if you, if you put all of your eggs into several large baskets rather than having your basket, your support coming from a broad array of vendors and income sources at different levels, you could find yourself in trouble. Back in 2009, 2010, when the markets tanked, all the manufacturers pulled back big time. And so a yep. lot of events ceased to happen because they put all their eggs in the one basket because they had a couple of manufacturers that were cash cows. And guess what? All of a sudden, the economy hits a rough patch, and those cows are not at your show. They're out grazing somewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's no easy answer, but, uh, you know, I always think back to the words of Terry Eric. If you keep your prices low, the hobby will expand and you will benefit by it. And that is so true. So, well, it is what I, it I is. Agree. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a simple philosophy, but a very accurate philosophy. You know, it's yeah, fine I mean, to have... Hershey. Head, head, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, look at Hershey. The largest car show in the world. Four days. It's free admission. You know, I mean, it just benefits everybody all around. No, there there are a lot of ways to organize and to, and to pull it off successfully. And, you know, I, one thing I, I want to say, I don't want to discourage anyone from doing a car show. Just no. think about it. Be smart about it. Have places for people to park trailers if they're going to be bringing trailers. Think Rest about room. restrooms that tend that yes. need to be accessible. You need to have food that's going to be accessible. You, it's in the summertime. Your people are going to need to have shade, and you're going to need to be professional and 
friendly and make people feel at home when they come to your show. Not just the car owners, but the spectators as well. And you'll end up being successful. And if you decide you want to raise a little money for a charity of your choice, pick a good one, do your research, make sure it's a good charity, and that most of the money goes to what they represent, and then everybody's going to walk away happy, and you will have accomplished something great and done something positive for the community and benefited the hobby, too. So all in all, a good thing. Yeah, you know, that's here when you hold your... uh What's the name of your show that you're at today? Star City Motor Madness. Star City Motor Madness. You know, since you guys have been around a long time and you donated a lot of money to the uh, Virginia Transportation Museum, I think next year you should donate the money to uh, Crankshaft Magazine. This way you can help promote us. <laughs> and I won't take a dime to buy another car, I promise. Take, take, take a publisher to lunch. Yeah, there you go. It's going to be Star City Motor Madness and take take a starving publisher to lunch. Yeah, That's right. Go. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so, uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, speaking of we're getting into the waning hour or waning moments of the show, folks, Crankshaft Magazine, www.crankshaftmagazine.com, I my personal guarantee to you, you will enjoy that magazine. You will never regret having spent the money to get that magazine, folks. It costs you less than a, than a tank of gas to have Crankshaft come into your house four times a year. And that, you're not just going to read it once. You're going to keep reading it. You're going to keep going back to it. It's going to, going to be one of your favorite magazines. And I don't just say that because of this guy. I mean, heck, he won't even buy me breakfast, for God's sake. So why should I be push pushing him? But it does promote the hobby, and, and that's why. I don't promote it because of Richard. It's a good product, and, and it's got great writers and great editorial staff. And, eh, the publisher, he's okay, too. Eh, he's a schmuck. <laughs> so all right, folks. Oh have a great God. weekend. It went by fast. We'll see you next time. Cheap cars are good. Remember that. Take care. It's so bad. Bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.